Let's pray, and then we will uh, continue and on the theme today. And we really want to share with you a little bit because it is relevant to us here. So um, this isn't about show and tell um, so much as it's about tell what we think the Bible says about our Savior, Jesus Christ, and the opportunity that we all have in Him. So I'm going to ask you to do what we always do. Um, we pray before we enter into God's Word together. We pray before we worship. We pray before we wake up in the morning. You know, as we're waking up, we're praying, praying to go to bed at night, um, praying all the time. Uh, so we're going to do that right now. If you feel compelled, would you join us in prayer this morning? Father, we come into your house to sing your praises with your children all over the world, and we're just one voice among millions of voices who are singing glory and praise to you this morning. We give you thanks for who you are. You are worthy of praise. Some of the songs we sang this morning, that all creation owes you praise, rightly owes you praise. You, you, you breathed us into existence. You spoke this into existence. Uh, you give us life, and we owe it to you. And so today, we gladly give it back. Um, this morning, we, we have come here to just celebrate all you're doing and all you've done and all you will do in our lives and who you are to us and who we who are becoming in you and just a power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to completely rescue us from sin and death and, and deliver us uh, into life and abundance in you. Today, Father, we, we want to see you. We want to know you. And no matter where we are in our journey, we want to know you more this morning. So would you help us to do that? Um, we ask that you would open our minds to the truth of your word, that you would open our hearts, that we could believe it, and in, and in our lives that we would have the courage to live it out every day. And Father, for those of us who are resistant, and we're like, we got these areas we don't like let you into. I pray that this morning you might break through in those areas. That only you can do that, God, and it's up to you to do that work. We are utterly, completely dependent on you and your Holy Spirit to work in our lives, to rescue us from our current broken state. So would you glorify yourself this morning through worship? Would you glorify yourself through your word? We love you so much. We thank you. Uh, we we um, surrender to you this morning in every way. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, so we had an awesome week. Uh, th this, this week at camp, we presented, um, we had a theme, you might see it, and the, the colors on the screen here are kind of relevant. I've been playing with those for the few weeks before we left, didn't talk about them directly. Um, you'll see I have a shirt on. Some of the campers have these shirts on the back. There are colors on the back of the shirts. As a matter of fact, um, I think if I have my, my clicker, which I don't know if I have it, um, hmm. Like, oh, I found it. <laughs> Chris is like, of course you did. <laughs> yeah, look, I have this. Uh... Oh, this is our verse for today, uh, Philippians 4.8. This is kind of the, the re, you know, the thought and coming here. Today. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things. And we want to fix our minds on all the awesome things that God did this last week and the truth of who he is in his word. I think this next slide, yeah, um, this was our kind of camp theme for the week. And uh, it was a sign theme, you know, so we kind of walked through that, and, and uh, myself and Becky Brandon were speakers at camp, and so we were walking through that all week, and we really, I can't agree more with what the, um, the staff have said so far, that we were on a journey with the students. We're like, hey, we're going to do this together and see what God has for us. And um, the funny thing about this also was that... Um, we ended up with a lot of clothing from this camp. <laughs> um, we were in the back hall praying before service, and uh, my son goes, looks like you have a lot of clothes on. <laughs> and I, I said, uh, I'm flying Frontier. <laughs> so if you've flown Frontier, you can't carry on any baggage. Okay. <laughs> So, so anyway, um, so we had this week of like kind of remembering the, these colors because they communicate the truth of Scripture. And what I didn't realize when we set out on this journey was that this 
This simple narrative right here of sin, blood, forgiven faith, life, and heaven would take us through the totality of Scripture. And so this morning we're going to open God's Word and we're going to kind of see what the Word says about these things. And as we do, we're going to kind of talk about the layers that we, um, we come out from under. So uh, this morning I'm going to ask that if you would um, to open your, open your Bibles to um, the book of Genesis uh, Genesis chapter 3, the nice thing about Genesis 3 is it's easy to find it's right in the front of the Bible, and so you can, you can find it right there. Um, and you maybe have heard this story before, but I want to I make sure we start, I mean, where it began, and, and we can talk about this a little bit this morning. I'm going to start in chapter 2, verse 8, for a minute, then in chapter 3. This is what the Word says. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put a man that he had made. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life. Now listen to the Word. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In the middle of the garden were two trees. I'm going to skip ahead now to chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, in the middle there, the women were created by God. He said, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, oh, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the servant said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband, and he, he was with her, and he ate it also. And then the eyes of both of them were opened. Oh, they realized that they were naked and so they sewed together fig leaves, and they made coverings for themselves. Almost all of us have heard that story before, right? I mean, we, even if you've not been in church, you've probably heard the story of Adam and Eve. Whether you believe the gospel or don't believe the gospel, whether you believe the Bible or not, you've probably heard the story of this beautiful creation narrative. One key point here is that when God is done making all the stuff that we live in, he says it's very good. It's very good. And in this moment... There's a twisting. Did God really say you can't have anything good in life? Oh, no, he didn't say that. We can have good things. We just can't have those things. And then the word of God is slowly twisted. You know what he told Adam is misinterpreted, misunderstood. Adam is right there. And he's like, oh, no, 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 wait, wait. He said we can't eat it. We, you know, we can't touch it either. We, we, we can't even be near that. Really? And then we're tempted in. We, we were uh, talking in our lives that all of us are born into what we would call original sin. This is a biblical principle. It's the truth of the, of the narrative of Scripture that because of this moment in the garden, you and I are born sinners. No matter how adorable and cute and innocent, and we love that narrative, don't we, in our culture? Oh, look at them. They're so innocent. Sinners, man. Sinners. And if, if you don't believe that's true, then what happened to you and me? How, how do we get from so cute and innocent to so full of sin? Maybe you don't think that you are. 
In Psalm 51, later on in life, uh, or later on in the story, um, David in his life, he has this egregious sin. And if you've read the Bible, you know the Bible says that David is a man after God's own heart. Like God loves David and David loves God, but David sins egregiously. And he writes this in 50, the 51st Psalm. He says, as he's lamenting his sin and asking forgiveness, he says, against you and you alone I have sinned. Some people have said, it doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem fair. Why do I get blamed for someone else's sin? To which I would say, I have plenty of my own anyway. I'm convinced that if left unto my own devices, I would choose to disobey God. I have. I'm a sinner. And like David, I realize that I don't just sin against other people, but I sin against God himself. Why? He made us. He made me. He made you. And we hurt and wound one another, and we, we fail one another. We fail ourselves it's sinning against God and his very good creation. You start a week and you realize and we, you know, that we're covered in the sin and we can't get it off and there's no solution possible. And then we ask a question of the students, and maybe I'll ask you the question this morning. If you were God and you had made a very good creation and then they had disobeyed and sinned and the result of sin is death, he said that would be true. Don't eat it or you will die. And they don't believe it, they eat it. You will, they are going to die now. How would you solve the problem of sin? If you were God, how would you solve the sin problem in the world? Maybe you're like some of our students, because they were answering these questions with us, and, and they said, uh, I would just not worry about it. <laughs> I would just let it, let it go. Is there a problem with that? Maybe that's what you think God should have done. Someone else said something that I've heard adults say before. I would have made it different so that people couldn't sin. If I were God, it wouldn't have been an option. Can I remind you that we were working with 6th, 7th, and 8th grade students? They get it. Why? Why is this this way? And how should God deal with it? Well, to get our answer, we actually went right back um, to the same passage. And so I'm going to invite you to read with me um, on down in... in um, in the book of Genesis, and it's interesting because in the book of Genesis, it doesn't say that God said, um, it's okay, <laughs> don't, don't worry about it, I wasn't serious about this. It's not what he said. Um, he didn't say, I regret making you able to choose me or your own way. But in verse 21, after Adam and Eve were cowering and shamed, and they knew they had messed up. And they knew they weren't comfortable being around God anymore. And they had these leaves. I can't even imagine what clothes made of leaves were like. It says that the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife. And he dressed them. He covered them. This might be a, a really simple, uh, small passage of the Bible. The truth is that God had a different plan for the sin problem that you and I have. You must know that. Even here in the very beginning, we can begin to see the, the um, signs of what God is going to do. All week we memorized uh, verses of Scripture, and I, I want to share with you, I forgot to do this moment, I want to share with you um, the verse that we had tied to the sin problem that we have. And you've heard it before, it's Romans 3.23. And it says this, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we decided that the key word is all, all. 
And so now God knows there's this problem, and I'm going to ask you to ask you to turn now with me to Romans 3. So you can turn to Romans 3. It's past, it's in the New Testament, it's past the Gospels, it's past the book of Acts. You'll find Romans. Romans 3, that passage we just quoted, says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I want to share with you just a few uh, passages around that that has to do with how God saw this sin problem and what his solution was going to be. Verse 21 of chapter 3, Paul says this to the church, But now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. And this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Same word. There's no difference. Now here's the key verse that we just read. Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But 24 says, and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came in Christ Jesus. And now 25. God presented him. Who? Jesus. God presented Jesus as an, uh, a sacrifice of atonement that through faith in his blood, he did this to demonstrate, and here's the point that we don't get, that he is just because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be both the just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus Christ. You see, God saw the sin problem as a relational problem. You didn't, you didn't choose me. And the way he solves it, and he can't just let it go, it's, it's, it's just not who he is, is that he offered his son Jesus that we might be free of our sin. Of all the shirts that I wore this week, this one was the most impactful for me. Because to spend your days walking around realizing that Jesus shed his blood that this ancient sin problem could be solved, that this blood of Jesus means that God is both just and the justifier, and, and that he loved me enough, and that he loves you enough to not leave us stuck in our nasty sin. Man, that's the gospel. Why do we put a cross in the front of our sanctuary in almost every Christian church? Because the blood of Christ was poured out that sinners might be free. And I get it. It goes against all the cultural narratives about we're going to be okay, you're not that bad. If we could just figure out how to live better and be nice, we'll be fine. But inside, do you feel that brokenness that can't be solved? Man, I, I feel that. And rather than take a solution that lasts for a season, as long as I can muster the courage to be better, we can take one that lasts for eternity. God said you can be free of your sin. Shed his blood that he could be both just and the justifier. There are many benefits to the blood of Jesus, and it's not just the forgiveness of sins, but that's enough. The Bible says that through the blood of Jesus, we are brought near to God, that we are drawn near to him in the blood of Jesus. It says that God is reconciling all things on heaven and earth to himself through the blood of Jesus uniquely. Not, not one path amongst many. He's, this is the way he's drawing heaven and earth and making everything new. Something else that the Bible says is that um, God is making peace. 
in Jesus' blood. Peace. We've just recently studied Hebrews, uh, the whole book as a church. You'll remember this. And there's that, the, that passage of Scripture starting around Hebrews 9 where it says that Jesus entered the eternal sanctuary and he covered it in his blood, the, the real sanctuary, not an earthly sanctuary. And, and, and he opened the way for sinners to come to God directly like a, a floodgate had opened that this temple worship had been torn open. And you, can, I, you and I could go to God directly by the blood of Jesus. He offered himself, the Bible says. Isn't it interesting? Romans says God offered his son, Jesus, as an atoning sacrifice. Hebrews says Jesus offered himself as an atoning sacrifice. We memorized a verse for this at camp. You've heard it before. We've all heard it before. Almost every time you, um, at a, a public event, a ball game, I always think of ball games, you'll see a sign You'll even see people with signs mocking it. and This is what the Bible says about the sin problem. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only son that anyone who believes in him will not perish, but will live forever. Key word, we are loved. Loved by God. Loved as we are. The Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not the righteous religious folks, not people who are trying their hardest, broken, failed sinners. This is something that only God can offer us. And honestly, he offers it to you and to me anytime. Will you believe that I loved you enough to give my son that you could be free of your sin? The reality of this um, sin being uh, washed from our lives is this truth that you and I who have believed in Jesus Christ are forgiven. And uh, we spent uh, time talking about this, of course, um, this idea of forgiveness. I want you to turn, if you will, to Psalm 51. I quoted it earlier, Psalm 51, David crying out after he sinned egregiously against a brother, against a sister, against those that God loves against those who did not deserve it and he sinned and he writes a beautiful psalm 51 i'm going to start in verse 1 have mercy on me o god according to your unfailing love according to your great compassion Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me of all my sin. Because I know my transgressions. Do you hear his heart? And my sin always stands in front of me. Against you, and here's the verse I quoted, you only have I sinned and I've done what is evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And surely you desire truth in the innermost parts. You teach me wisdom in the innermost places. Oh God, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you've crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a pure heart, God, and renew a steadfast 
spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. I want to pause right there for a minute. David writes this beautiful, beautiful psalm after egregious sin. I don't know if you hear his stuckness in it. My sin's always in front of me, God. Would you wash me clean? I mean, David's pleading here with hope that God can do something to solve the sin problem. I love that David says, um, if, if God, if you make me clean, I'll be clean. Do you hear that limitation in his own ability? God, if you make me clean, I'll be clean. I want to be clean. I don't know. Do you need that in your life, man? Do you need to be forgiven? And if you do, how, how do you go about talking to God when you mess up? How do we approach him? I love David's heart. Give me a new one. Make me like you. I'm tired of being like me. Make me like you. I'm tired of my way. That sounds like the garden, doesn't it? Be good for wisdom. Be tasty. No implications. I'm tired of that. I want to know you. Look at verse 13. This is, we had two-fold purpose, and we've been talking about this family Bible, about us going and sharing our faith with others. Look at what David says in 13. Grant me a willing spirit and sustain me. And he says, and then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. At that point, I will go and tell people, I've been forgiven, and sinners can turn to you. As we think about sharing our faith, there's two thoughts I wanted to throw out there about forgiveness. The first is that we are forgiven in Jesus. And we need to learn to live like forgiven people. One of the questions that I ask and I ask of you this morning is this. How would you live differently if all sin were forgiven? Let that set a minute. How would you actually live your life different if all sin were forgiven? We had some pretty astute counselors and students who were there and they were discussing it and they came up to me later and they said, well, isn't all sin forgiven? Um, It it sounds like you're saying if all sin's forgiven and isn't all sin forgiven, doesn't the Bible say that all sin is forgiven? And what did I say? Yeah. Yes. The Bible says there's one unforgivable sin and that's rejecting the Holy Spirit of God. That's the unforgivable sin. I don't want it. I don't need it. I'll do my own thing. But other than that, and that ongoing willful rejection, all sin is forgiven in Jesus. This is an interesting thing because for Christians, maybe it's like you in your life. Maybe you've believed the good news, but you're still carrying around stuff in your life that you won't let go of. You believe you sinned too egregiously. You believe that not that sin, you're holding on. And I'm, I'm telling you, like, from experience, there's that stuff that we carry around and we go like, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but man, I really messed up. David was crying out. He had someone killed. He had an affair with his wife, and that's why he had him killed. He was deceiving people. He was the ruler of the nation. Learning to live like forgiven people. I mean, to learn to live in that space. Lord, if you make me clean, I'm truly clean. Shouldn't we live differently? 
Here's the second part. We walk around as people who believe that Jesus died to forgive the sins of the whole world. And we, we don't um, mourn the sin of others and we don't forgive them. We hold grudges against them. Do you understand that? The things that God has said Jesus died to forgive, we hold on to and we hold it over. Children of God, image bearers of the creator of the universe, and we say, yeah, but you're a dirty sinner. I can't let go of that. Someone hurt me. I can't let go of that. And we carry around a burden of unforgiveness all the while saying, Jesus died for all sin. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, Bill, um, they haven't repented of their sin. You know what? That's a them and God problem. Do you know that? But how differently would others be if we were willing to forgive their sin? I was talking about to others, and I said, we stand across those street people and scream at them instead of walking beside them and weaving with them. Instead of being in their circle, we can say, you know, there's a solution for the sin problem that you have. The shed blood of Jesus. He died that you could be free of your sin. I hope you see that. Forgiveness. As we considered the scriptures on forgiveness, um, there was uh, a few things that we talked about, and one was that um, uh, Jesus taught us to pray this way. He said, uh, he said, his disciples said to him, this is in Matthew, you want to look it up later, he said, how should we pray? And Jesus said, pray like this. And you know the Lord's Prayer, right? But then there's a part where he said, Lord, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sinned against us. That's actually what it says. Um, forgive others the way we're forgiving. I forgive us the way we're forgiving others. That's the way he taught his disciples to pray. And then uh, he went on to expound on that idea that um, if we harbor uh, unforgiveness in our hearts, the Lord won't forgive us. That's interesting. It's like a kind of a litmus test. Are you holding on to things that God has died so that you could let go of? I asked uh, earlier how we can um, have peace with God in this way, and the, First John nine says, First John one nine says this says, um, "If you confess your sins, He is faithful and just, and will forgive your sins and purify us, you and me, from all unrighteousness." We have the opportunity to just talk to Him about our sin and brokenness, and maybe there's someone you're harboring unforgiveness against, maybe your own life. You can just go to God and, and just say, "God, I want to let go of that. I, I've been I'm, I'm sinning by holding on to it." And let God teach you about forgiveness. Other things that Jesus taught was that we can pray. I already talked about that. And um, he taught us to uh, fast. <laughs> and he taught us to store up treasure in heaven. All those things. And then Paul wrote to the church, by the way. Um, and uh, I think this is in Galatians. He writes to the church and he says... Um, the church, there are still sins of the flesh, and there's fruit of the Spirit. And Corey talked about that this morning, which I thought was lovely. He said, uh, um, walk in the Spirit, and you will bear love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. These are the things that God wants to manifest in our lives. 
These are the markers that we can say, am I staying connected to Jesus? Am I growing as a person of faith? If we're seeing them more, yes. If we're not, no. These are the fruit that come from living a faith-filled life. The verse that we memorized this week, and I would encourage you to memorize it as well for yourself and for others, um, comes, let's see here, from 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. New people. Key word being new. We're now about halfway through. We talked about how all, those, all the rest hinges on those first three things, right? And then we're going to kind of pace quickly here now in this life of faith. So we have this forgiven life, and we begin to live a life of faith, you and me. We begin to um, walk out the things that we believe, uh, starting with forgiveness and living in that space with Jesus, trusting him um, all the more as the day is approaching. Um, we, uh, Denise shared earlier about the um, heroes of the faith, and they would um, live out what they believed, and, and you and I are called to do the same thing. Hebrews 11 is where that is found. Um, I'm going to ask you to turn to the uh, uh, two places, actually. I want you to turn to Luke 7. We're going to do two gospel stories real quick here. Because I love, and if you, if you want to read some stories of faith, I would encourage you to read the Gospels. Um, the Gospels are filled with these stories of faith. People who believed, people who didn't believe, people who understood, people who didn't understand. I'm going to start in verse 1. Quick story. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the, um, in, in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum, and there a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. Uh, the centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders to, of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. Uh, when they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him and said, This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. This is the Jewish people speaking. They say, this guy deserves your attention, Jesus. So Jesus goes with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to him to say, Lord, don't trouble yourself because I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. That's why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you and ask. But say the word and my servant will be healed. Verse 8. Because I myself am a man under authority, and the soldiers, I have soldiers under me. I tell this one to go, and he goes, and that one to come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, and turning to the crowds following him, Jesus said these words, I tell you what, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Some things you have to understand is that Jesus has been doing miraculous things. And you may have heard the stories of people, if I could only touch the hem of his garment, if I could only get close to him, the children coming to Jesus, everyone wanting to get near to Jesus. But when Jesus approached the centurion, who he's clearly going to go to the guy's house, the guy says, you can just say it and it's true. You can just speak it and it's a reality. I'm uh, more surprised here by Jesus' response than the centurion's faith because um, when Jesus is astonished by something, we should pay attention to it. And he says, wow. And he turns to people he's been teaching about what it means to be a follower, believer in God, and he says, I have not found any faith like this in Israel, the people of God. I have not found this kind of faith. 
to believe that God can do anything he commands. To believe that Jesus can do anything he commands. Now I want you to turn to Mark chapter 9. Because maybe that's not you. Maybe you don't have that kind of faith, you know. Um, Maybe you're more like me. (laughs) Um, And there's good news for us too. We have this centurion who has no right to expect God to do anything for him, believing that God will do it. And um, we're going to do uh, verses uh, 17 through 24. This is actually the same story. Um, A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed with a spirit that's robbed him of speech. Oh, no, this is a different story. I'm sorry. Whenever it sees him, it throws him into the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. And Jesus said this, Oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him, and when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has the child been like this? And he said, Since he was little. It often throws him into the fire or the water trying to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help. And Jesus responded like this. If you can, everything is possible for the person who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, Oh, I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And maybe that's where you're at in your life of faith. Oh, God, I I believe but help me overcome my unbelief. Um, can I just say that both are reasonable, reasonable positions to be in as a follower of Jesus? To have faith that says, Lord, if you say it's true, it's true. You can do anything you want to do, and I'm going to ask bold in your name. Or you can say, Lord, I believe in you. Help overcome my unbelief. Lord, would you, just, would you just push that unbelief out of my heart? Would you just cause me to believe more and more in you all the time? My life of faith has been much more like that than the first I do believe. Help with my unbelief. I know who you are, Jesus. Help me grow more. Help me submit more in that. And maybe that's um, where, where you are. Um, okay, we're going to skip some things here. But um, the memory verse we had for this was Hebrews 11. If you want to read the story of uh, people of faith, it ties the New Testament and the Old Testament together. It's Hebrews 11. You can make a note and read that this week sometime. But this is what the Bible says. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. It's being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. I was asking the students, what's hard about faith? And they said, uh, you can't see it. <laughs> I ask them, so if you were at school and someone said, well, why do you have faith? And one little girl said, I just believe. And I said, that, that's it, you just believe? Yeah, I just believe. And I thought, man, that is a real dynamic that we have in our life, um, that, that we live this life of faith in Jesus, and there's nothing. I can't go to a friend. I've got a friend who's a non-believer. I can't go and say, and this is my faith, right? I believe God changed my heart. It's, you know, it's not an act. It's real, but I can't show you. And I say all that to say that the, um, the next uh, morning we uh, got into our next session. And um, 
uh, one of the students helped us connect. Oh, the keyword was legit. <laughs> we were trying to think of a word that would mean you could totally count on it. Um, being sure or certain God is legit. It's the real deal. And so that brought us to our concept of life. And we're going to see if we can pull this together here. Um, that we have this opportunity to live out um, our faith. James, you'll know, says, uh, well, let's, let's go there. Let's go look at James chapter 2. He says, faith without works is dead. James is going to be toward the back of the Bible. Great little short read if you want to um, check that out. Uh, James 14. James chapter 1, I'm sorry. Or chapter 2, 14, there we go. I'm like, that doesn't make sense. James writes this. He's the half-brother of Jesus, by the way. Took him a long time to come to faith. And he says, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? Um, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food, and uh, if, if one of you says to him, Go, uh, keep well and be warm and well-fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is that? In the same way, faith by itself is not accompanied with action is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe there's one God? Uh, good. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that your faith without deeds is useless? Was it not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions worked together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that said, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by the faith alone. 25, in the same way was not even Rahab, the prostitute, considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off different directions. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. He makes a couple of cases. I would actually even say, for those of you who say, I love that passage of the, the, the Hebrews faith chapter, if you read that entire chapter of the Bible, every one of those saints, those champions of faith had an action. Read it. You know, by faith, Abraham went. By faith, Noah built. By faith, Isaac blessed. By faith, you know, on and on. Rahab is mentioned in there. I mean, on and on and on. It's in, and that was a real connecting point. How can I show my unbelieving friend my faith? By what I do. Watch my life. Watch my life. And, and, don't, and don't watch it like in some kind of look. He's going to be a righteous hypocrite. He's going to tell everyone else how bad they are and how good he is. But watch my life. Watch me need Jesus. Watch me repent. Watch me confess whenever I've wronged you or ask for forgiveness. Trusting all the while that Jesus brings it. We have this life in Christ. And we're called to live it out um, Paul uh, says that um, uh, your faith is complete in what you do. You make your faith complete. 
So we're called to live this life. And this uh, verse we had for, for this week on life was John 10.10. Some of you know John 10.10 already. Um, but John 10.10, this is Jesus speaking, and he says, I have come that you might have life and have it to the fullest. And so we are called to live in this life. We're not called to sit back and just wait. And man, for heaven's sake, we're not called to come to faith, believe the good news, get forgiveness, and then just pray for heaven. <laughs> you know what I mean? Come on, Jesus. I mean, you can pray that Jesus comes. I get that. But he ain't come yet. And if he ain't come yet, you ought to be doing something what you believe. It's just that simple. Live it out. I'm actually kind of convinced that some of us are so unsure of our faith that we don't try to live it out. Because it might not work. One of my um, uh, distant heroes, and I will claim some pretty big ignorance about this, um, but I've heard the story of John Wesley, and he had a journal, and he would write down the things that he thought God was calling him to do in his journal, and then he would write down the date he tried to do it. (laughs) What would life be like if you lived that way? God, I think you're calling me to go do this. Tried. That's a beautiful way to live, isn't it? Didn't work. Huh. Didn't get that right. You might think this is a crazy way to live, but you remember the Apostle Paul said, I was trying to go to Asia, and the Holy Spirit stopped me. Tried. So I went over here and preached the good news. We are called to live our lives in Christ, and we are called to walk in the Holy Spirit. And by the way, the Holy Spirit is a seal for that day. The one that we walk around in is a seal for that day. Um, I want to um, take a quick break before we go to our final point here on heaven, and it's this. Um, I, we had conversations about things like baptism as well, you know, I asked that question, and maybe of you, have you been baptized yet? And if so, why? And if not, why not? Do you think that's an important thing to do? Lots of theological conversations, lots of understandings of what baptism is, but man, you know, fundamentally, um, like, Jesus calls us to be like him. What are, what are we afraid of? Maybe that's something God's been working on you. I'm not trying to lay it on you. Maybe that's something. Maybe it's like that, that's that next thing. I'm going I'm to like, be like Jesus. I'll be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I'll be obedient to Matthew 28. Yeah, I'm a disciple. I want to live. Man, I want to live a life that matters. Um, I, um, I realize one thing the gospel does is it challenges everything that we presume to be true. It just does. It shakes us upside down, it messes up our life, it messes up our plans, and that's something to be afraid of, but it's true life. It's true life. Uh, Nothing scarier than the verse that says, um, you meet Jesus, and you say, what's up, Jesus? And he's like, I don't know who you are. I never knew you. Far better live a life where you're just like, Jesus, it's me again. (laughs) I need your help. (laughs) I need some direction here, (laughs) Jesus. I'm out walking on the water, I'm starting to sink. Jesus, and he's like, ah, Peter, that's right. Get into the boat, right? Living a life that we know Jesus, taking risks that we know Jesus. All right, and then we definitely do have, and we're gonna wrap here, um, heaven. 
And we're just going to sit in one place here, and then I'm going to close, I promise. I want you to turn to the book of Revelation. It's at the end of the Bible, in case you don't know that. Most of you probably do. Some people love to read Revelation. Some people are terrified to read Revelation. Some people are confused by Revelation. And I want to, I want to go to verse, uh, chapter 21. Because I want us to get a, a, a little glimpse here about what God's doing. Um, about where, where this all um, ends up uh, manifesting in our lives. I mean, what, what's the end game that God seems to have here? Yeah. Listen, man, listen to the word. Okay. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Catch that. A new heaven and a new earth. Because the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw, oh, sorry about that. I saw a holy city the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them and they will be his people and God himself will be their God and he will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death and there will be no more mourning or crying or pain because the old order of things has now passed away he who was seated on the throne said I am making everything new and then he said write this down because these words are trustworthy and true skip to verse 22 with me will you I did not see a temple in this city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, because the glory of God is giving it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. And the nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be closed, because there will be no night. The glory and the honor of the nations will be brought into it, and nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. A full restoration of God's kingdom, a full implementation of his authority. And I, I want you to notice something. It's a new heaven and a new earth like this, only without sin like this one without our failure. This is the new Jerusalem. And then it says this. Look at verse chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing down the, from the throne of God and the lamb down the middle of this great street of the city. It's a huge crystal river coming out. And on each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of his tree are for the healing of the nations. And no longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and there will be no more night. They will not need the light of the lamp or the light of the sun because the Lord God will give them the light. And they will reign forever and ever. The angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, 
sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. And Jesus says, Behold, I am coming soon, and blessed is the one that keeps the words of prophecy in this book. Heaven is our eternal destiny. To be with God forever is our home. And this is but a season of our lives in Christ. This is but a season of growth and of obedience and of faith. Learning to be kingdom people. But there is coming a day that's so glorious. We often think about heaven as like this kind of boring place where nothing good is going to happen. It's going to be off. It's, I don't want to say off the chain. That's kind of crazy, right? But it's going to be crazy there. It's going to be glorious there. And I want to be there. I want to be there. Um, so all of a sudden, if you start to look at the light of eternity, you begin to order your life now like you begin to think about these things. God, what do you have for me? What, what is this life about? This is the biblical narrative. And I don't know if you noticed it. I know it's been long this morning, but we literally went from the beginning to the end. And there's a whole bunch of stuff in the middle, but it jives. It all leads this direction from the garden of sin to the city of salvation, from hope of the nations. And by the way, did you hear that? The nations will be healed. And I got to say one more thing to you this morning, and I'm going to quit, man. But you know what it said? It said, in heaven, there will be no more weeping. That's what it said. No more weeping in heaven. And I know sometimes you go, that's sentimentality, right? I mean, that you think, <laughs> like many of the world, oh, it's just, you know, heaven by and by, and I'm not going to be able to cry, and so all that. I'll be crying now, but I'm not going to cry anymore. But brothers and sisters, image bearers of God, who has breathed your life into you? You know what Jesus said? If you reject me, you'll be thrown out into the place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see, we like to live all on that side of things, and we say, oh, yeah, there'll be no more tears. But that's only true for those who are written in the book of life. Because for those who are actively rejecting God, for those who say, no, my way, Jesus says, forever, weeping, gnashing of teeth, everything you don't want. So I don't know where you are today, but I want to say something very clearly. This is exactly what we did. I'm trying to ruin my mic here. We all have this journey to take. And the Bible says one thing very, very clearly. It's in the book of Acts. And um, I think it's Acts 19, verse 10. And it says, uh, believe in the Lord Jesus. Listen. You believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. That language that gets lost in the church sometimes, salvation. It's offered to us in the cross. I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite you to pray with me. And I'm going to invite you to do something different in Family Bible this morning that we've not, I've not done here before. But I'm going to invite you to pray with me. And I'm going to pray a prayer of acknowledgement. And you don't, if you want to pray with me, you pray with me. And I want to tell you something. I, we want it to be a God thing, not a manufactured church thing. Like we want it to be God in your life. But you can pray with me if, if you want to. Um, let's pray together. Uh, Father God, we thank you so much for the scope and majesty and glory of your word, of who you are of this narrative we did not choose to be born into and we were born into it. And this morning we've heard the full counsel of your scripture and this story of who you're calling us to be and the price that you paid that we might be free. 
And this morning, Father, I just want to lead those who are here that you've been working in their heart. You've been moving in them. You, before today, I mean, you were just after them already. Father, and if they're here today and they want to join me in this prayer, I pray that they would pray with me. But Lord, I know, I know I'm a sinner. I know I have messed up. I have done things I shouldn't do, and I don't do things I should do. And even on the best of days, it's still not right. It's just not right, Father. And I'm stuck in the sin. And Lord, I believe that Jesus died for my sins. I believe he shed his blood on the cross that I could be free. And I need that freedom today. I need you today. I need you not just to save me from my sins, but to tell me how to live, to show me how to live, that I might live freely in this life and be ready for the life to come. And so today, Father, I choose Jesus. I choose, I choose to believe You've been after me for a while, and I'm just going to give it, I'm going to believe the good news today. And that's my prayer. That's my honest prayer. Father, if that, anyone is here today, we give you praise and glory that they've prayed that prayer today. And there's nothing magic about the prayer. Your word says that your name is holy, and that if we would but believe in you, we will be saved. This is a promise you made to your people. And if for anyone here who prayed and just believes that, maybe right now they're just feeling that. They're like, you know what? I want to believe in Jesus. Father, would you make a way that that sinner could come to salvation just like I have in my life? And Father, for those of us who are after you in this life, would you cause your spirit to be jealous over us that we could be obedient in your word, that we could live it out, we could test our faith and try, see what you have for us. Lord, for the way that you've moved amongst your people, we give you thanks and praise. And for you, you're our only hope for salvation. You're our only hope for eternity. You're our only hope for life that matters right now. So will you be who you say you are in our lives? Will you, will you love us and rule and show us where we're called to go? And we'll give you thanks and praise all the days. Father, I thank you so much for my brothers and sisters who are here who know who you are and are obeying you. And I thank you for all the things we can repent of and believe again the good news today. May we find our place in your story, Father, and live it out boldly. We love you so much. And then one more request, Lord. If there's people in our lives that need to hear about Jesus and we've been afraid to tell them, would you convict us of that? I mean, not in an unloving way, but just if we need that encouragement today, would you help us to do that? Just to, just to share Jesus. That's what we're doing. And uh, would you prepare the hearts of those who might hear that they could believe and be free? We love you so much. We thank you for the challenge, the walk, the journey, the faith, the life you've given us. And we pray in Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to have one final song. Um, I'm going to ask, um, as we sing the song, if, if maybe you did, that was the first, I don't know, if you prayed that prayer today and you, you say, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus, on the bottom of your connection cards, there's a little checkbox. You can check it. That's just so we can be praying for you and follow up with you. Um, maybe you say, you know what, I want to be baptized. You can check the box to be baptized. We'll work that out and make that happen um, ASAP, you know. Um, or if there's something else, a prayer concern or whatever, write it on that connection card on the bottom. We would love just to, to walk with you in your faith in Jesus Christ.